This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, here we are on a Tuesday. Chris Brownson has her with you in two different places today, but on the air nonetheless, as uh, we are going to try to turn the page today a little bit, Steve, uh, as Monday was a difficult one for a lot of Bills fans, especially since it's the first time the Bills are coming off two consecutive defeats. Um, I think last night's Monday night game, though, Steve, you tell me what you think. Last night's Monday night game was something that I thought kind of served notice that really no one is able to escape the law of averages in the NFL. Uh, The Eagles, who were like a plus 15 in the turnover margin, had three turnovers all season long in their first eight games, had four last night as they were upset by their division rival Washington Commanders. Yeah, uh, I mean that. Whenever these teams go down, like the, when the Bills take it on the chin, when you know the Chiefs take it on the chin, the Eagles, um, the first and the note, the thing you know you're going to see in the post game is something, and as a reference to turnovers, because that's the way it always happens. Uh, you take away points from yourself, or the opportunity to get points from yourself. The Bills did that twice, you know, the other day. And you give your opponent a chance to score, or at least make you drive the length of the field to go ahead and score. And it's just, you know, it's adding to your opponent's sco- scoreboard and taking it away from your own virtually. So, yeah, the, and the Eagles found it out last night. And I, I, every team looks beatable when they turn the ball over. Every team does. And, you know, the Bills found that out this last week, and, and you know, the Vikings know it as well. I mean, they – they could point to it as well if they wouldn't have come out on the right end of that that game. So, it's uh, it is the statistic other than the scoreboard that'll give you an idea of who's winning games. And venture me this, Steve. At the beginning of the year, if somebody asked you your level of confidence that all four teams in the NFC East and all four teams in the AFC East would be at 500 or better at the midway point of the season. What odds would you <laughs> have laid on that? You get that. Yeah, Washington got to 5-5 five and five last night. And New England's 5-4. and four. They're the fourth-place teams in the division. Unbelievable. That, that's unbelievable. Philly, New York, Dallas – and Washington all at 500 or better, and of course the AFC East also at 500 or better. No, uh, no, I don't. I don't remember. I don't remember any two divisions being in that spot. There's always well, somebody who I, stinks in a division, right? And I think a lot of people were under the impression that at best the NFC East was going to be a two-horse race between Dallas and Philly. You know, in the AFC East. You know, while Miami was probably going to gain some ground on Buffalo this year, they they certainly weren't in Buffalo's class. And yet here, right now, as it stands, if the season ended today, seven of those eight teams would be in the in the playoffs and Washington's only a half game out. I don't remember it ever happening that one division like the East, the AFC East, all four teams made the playoffs, but it looks like they could. I mean, it's not going to happen because they're going to knock each other right. off a little bit here. The Bills have four division games. 
And the other teams in the division also have a ton of those division games, too. So they're all going to get some losses. But, man, oh, man, does it ever – I mean, it just – we don't know what we're talking about before the season starts. We don't know because you can say <laughs> what you want. We, you go down and you say, you know, everybody does it. We all do this. We have fun. And, and even in the morning, they got Howard picks the bills, you know, every week. And it's, and it's, a, it's a blast. You, can, you have no idea. Yeah. No idea. The Giants are seven and two. The Giants. Yeah. It it's helps when you're playing a last place schedule, but they've certainly yeah. exceeded expectations despite that. So yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I don't think there was a Bills fan north of Pensacola that thought they would be this improved, but they are legit and they are a problem. So uh, it's going to be an interesting race here on the back half of the schedule. Other thing that came out of last night's game, some more adversity for Philly. They lost their tight end, Dallas Goddard, for a long period of time with yeah. a shoulder injury. That guy was doing everything for them. He, I mean, he you could make the argument he might have been the best all-around tight end in the league this year. He does more than Kelsey does. Yeah. He does, he does more than um, – well, he might not do more than George Kittle. George Kittle is a pretty complete tight end also in San Francisco, but – Goddard was having a career season. Hertz relies on him heavily, particularly in the red zone. He's not going to have him now going forward. I'm really interested to see how Philadelphia responds after their first bit of adversity this season because it's been smooth sailing the whole way so far. Yeah, I think it's a long season, and these we talk about it all the time, particularly with the Bills, who about – you know, if they can get on top of the turnover ratio, they're minus one now, uh, and the injuries have really struggled. And they've struggled with injuries. They've they've gone through their entire roster almost at every position, uh, and, and Philly has largely escaped all of that um, up until the Goddard thing. And then last night when they started turning it over, they did both those things. They got some injuries last night, and then they got the turnover bug as well. It, it all evens out, and all this stuff that's so skewed one way or the other always evens out for these teams. You lose close games, all of a sudden you're like the Minnesota Vikings, and you can't lose a close game. You're winning all of them. It's it's impossible to predict this stuff. That's why, you know, they call it, I guess they call it gambling. You can't predict it. And <laughs> I mean, Brian it's also Dayball, what makes it so entertaining. Brian Dayball strolls into a Giants locker room that is – bereft of talent he's got a, a great running back who has trouble staying healthy a quarterback that everybody has doubts about even him and they cruise to a seven and two record they're the toast of the town and he's probably in line to get coach of the year um i it, it's it's unbelievable um and then you get guys in the Raiders and the and the AFC West who th- everybody thought was going to be a juggernaut. It's the Kansas City Chiefs yeah. and then three other nobodies. The Broncos, yeah, that was the, the other Chargers. Thing. Like, going into the year, yeah, everybody's like, oh, the Chiefs are going to have a tough time winning that division with how stacked it is now. And, you know, the Bills are going to sail to another division title. It's the exact opposite. Yeah. The whole thing flipped. Yeah. Yeah. The Chargers are five and four. But, man, Denver and Las Vegas – they both stink. And I, and I guess, you know, with, with new head coaches, I, sometimes we always feel like it's going to be easy. These guys are going to take over and roll like Brian Dayball's doing. It looks easy, right? Um, and for some of these guys, it's doing well. Mike McDonald down in, in Miami. 
Same thing. It's like sometimes it looks really easy. They, they're at the right place at the right time. <laughs> Jeff Saturday wins his debut. How <laughs> tough can it be, right? And then you got these guys that uh, Nate Hackett has been an NFL coach for a couple of decades, and he gets his first shot at a, at a head coaching job in Denver and can't get out of his own way. Same And Josh McDaniels, you'd think, wow, he's learned some things in Denver his first time around. He's going to come back, and he's going to do it the right way here in, in Vegas. See, they've got, some, they've got a nice roster. Devontae Adams, Derek Carr's a nice quarterback, and now they can't get out of their own way. It's impossible to see to predict now at week 10, or I guess week 11 now of the season, week 10, it's impossible to predict how these teams are going to do under these new coaches and the ups and downs of the season is just unbelievable. I, I can't believe some of the things that are on the standings chart in the NFL right now. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It's hard It's hard to figure. And there will probably be more over the last eight weeks here as teams are going to be jockeying for playoff position. And a whole slew of teams really feel like they gotta look, they're going to have a real good look at it. So they're all going to be motivated. And a lot of these division games are going to be pretty critical in determining the outcome of yeah. what the playoff seedings look like by the time yeah. we get to the end of the year. We got to we got to provide a quick update on some Bills injury news cuz head coach Sean McDermott spoke to the media yesterday as did the coordinators Ken Dorsey and Leslie Frazier. And one que- first of all, the guys that didn't play last week, Jordan Poyer, Kyer Elam, they were described by coach McDermott as improving. Um Greg Rousseau was a week-to-week label last week, and there was no real specific description as to his status. Tremaine Edmonds, who left the game last week and did not return, has a groin injury, but he is considered day-to-day. Jay Kumaro, unfortunately, is declared week-to-week for the second time this season. I don't know if it's the same ankle that he injured as the one that he did in week three, which cost him a month. He only came back in week eight. And now he's out again. So tough break for him, but it doesn't look like he's going to make it back in time to play this week. When when usually you get that week to week label, you're missing at least one game, maybe more. So we'll have to wait and see where that goes. And then coach McDermott was asked about Tredavious white, who's been at practice for the better part of two weeks now, but has not played or dressed for a game. He's not on the injury report. So the thinking is he has a clean bill of health. And Coach McDermott just said, Tredavious White is not yet in a position to play. We'll continue to take it one day at a time. So I think the longer that goes, the more questions will surface about when's the guy going to play. I found it interesting that during the Monday night telecast, you saw a lot of shots on the sideline of Chase Young, the Washington pass rusher, Steve. And he's a guy who suffered an ACL and I want to say a PCL knee injury last season against the Buccaneers. And I think his injury was a week or so after Trey's, which was on Thanksgiving. And he is slated to play this week. Uh, Chase Young is for the commanders coming up in their next game. So, you know, hopefully the time is near for Trey because they could really use him on the back end. Yeah, they're just they at least for depth, right? Just have him out there ready to go, uh, even if he's not ready to really go out and take seventy five or eighty eighty two snaps like uh, they played the other day. Um, I'm, um, we'll see. I, I think 
there's no question one of the things that's holding him back is it holds all these guys back when they come back from a knee injury of this nature is what's between his ears. Does he feel like he can really go out and play without being completely distracted by his leg? It's a hard thing. Um, you don't just don't you just flat do not trust your body, and that's a hard thing to get over. Um, you can't you can't and your body can't earn the trust that you need to give it unless you test it. But you don't want to test it because you don't trust it. You know, it's just a yeah. it, it's it's a it's a tough cycle to get into, and for guys like Trey, who've never been hurt. You know, I mean, for the most part, you know, muscle here, you know, whatever. That's a t- it's a hard place to be get into because you're, you know, your body's it's not just a pulled muscle. I mean, you were broken. You got stuff that gave out and had to be repaired. Uh, that's a that's a that's a big step away from being sore after a game and feeling like you need a day off. So I, I think that may be where he's at. I don't know. Uh, but I'm full confidence that at some point he's going to want to play so badly that he's going to just say, listen, let me out there, and uh, and we'll see him again. Yeah, the only time I can remember him dealing with an injury, it's funny, I remember when I was at this, I was covering the Senior Bowl for buffalobills.com, and this was going into the 2017 draft. Trey was a senior at LSU. He was at the Senior Bowl, and I was getting ready to interview him after a practice, so I had him on my list of guys to talk to, coming off the practice field and we get to the practice. I think it was a Tuesday or a Wednesday and they announce on the PA, the following players are not practicing. And he was one of them. He had an ankle injury and he wasn't even there. So I was like, son of a gun. And then sure enough, <laughs> the Bills draft him two months later. I could have had, you know, I could have talked to him in January, you know, what he thought of the bills back yeah. then. So I remember that. Yeah. yeah Cause, he's, cause- he's been very, very, very healthy for the majority of his career. So, yeah, I understand it's new territory. And, yeah, you're talking about the mental hurdle, and it's a real thing. Yeah, it's funny, too, because I remember that. I remember talking to Brandon Bean being kind of so happy that he had an ankle injury wouldn't practice because they already knew, <laughs> right? And they, nobody else is going to get a yeah. look at him, right? So they're like, Why does ah. that not surprise me? <laughs> right, exactly. So they were like, yeah, okay, cool. Our guy's not going to even practice. It was gold. Nobody's yeah. going to like him. It was just like It was just like at the Combine. When Gabe Davis is getting ready to run his 40 and, you know, our, our behind the scenes embedded people were filming Brandon in the, in the booth, watching the 40 time right before Gabe Davis is getting ready to take off. He goes, run slow, run, run slow. slow. Yeah. Run slow. <laughs> he wants exactly. him to run a slow time. It's true. It's true. Uh, they, they get, and I, I don't know whether they do this or not, but and fans do it. I mean, guess, I guess why wouldn't scouts and GMs do it? You get guys you like, you know. You find guys you grow to like them. You you feel like you yeah. find them. You know something about them that nobody else does. You you see something in them that nobody else mentions, and you get an affection for them, and you and you want them, you know. And whether it goes outside the lines of logic or you know, whether they're actually the best player available, or you just like them more than some other guy that who might be a better player, there's a little bit of that in every draft room. And, uh, you know, we've seen Brandon and his affection for some of these guys in that way. Yeah. Uh, we have to go around the NFL a little bit more here, around the NFL, presented by Collider Health, the official health care system of the Buffalo Bills. And it's not looking good for Cooper Cup, Steve. Um, Surgery. 
Yeah. I mean, Sean McVay, the head coach, just announced at his press conference today that Cup is going on injured reserve for his ankle injury, and he's going to have tightrope surgery on the ankle, which is a relatively new procedure the last few years. It's kind of come into vogue. And I, I actually asked a medical professional about it, um, just happened to be in the same room as a doctor that does that kind of stuff. And I, I was asking them about it. And it's basically, they use, this is amazing. They use a polyurethane cord to realign the ankle properly by anchoring the tibia and the fibula with the polyurethane cord. It's crazy. Like they're putting a cord in there instead of a plate because they believe it's less invasive. Um, and even though, you know, back when you were playing, people get plates put in their arm and stuff, say it would promote healing. Sometimes it would be susceptible to re-injury or breakage, you know, because yeah, the plate's the plate. still in there. Yeah, around the plate. Yeah, exactly. So they're, they're try, they try this polyurethane cord, and I guess the results have been very positive. But here's the problem. The recovery time on average is 6 to 12 weeks. So it's looking like he's done for the season, Steve. Yeah. I mean, because during that 6 to 12-week recovery period, you can't put any weight on the leg. Otherwise, you compromise the realignment of everything with the ankle and the tibia and the fibula. So you are non-weight bearing for those six to 12 weeks. There's no way he's yeah. coming back and playing. No, there, no, there's no way it's, ab, it's out of the question. If he can't put weight on it for six, six weeks, even it'll take that. It'll take another month to get it strong. And now it'll take more than a month. If he's completely off it for a month, he it'll take more than that just to get the strength back. Yeah, um, yeah, he has no shot at playing again this year. None. And they're and they're not. I mean, the way it looks now, they're not going to the playoffs. I mean, they're three and six. Uh, San Francisco looks to be the class of that division. Well, Seattle too. Pick, yeah. Well, they're just picking up. I think San Francisco is just picking up steam now. I think right. Se- I think San Fran is going to catch Seattle and pass it. Um, the addition of McCaffrey, the defense is healthy now. I wasn't all that impressed with Seattle and their performance against Brady and Tampa last week. Um, their defense really has to hold the opponent under 20, mostly under 17 to have a chance at winning. And they've done a good bit of that this year. Yeah. they. I'm, here, I, I don't know if they can sustain it. Yeah. I don't know. They've got, I mean, they got the Raiders, Rams, Panthers, and the Jets. Oh, that's good. Um, but they've got the they're gonna have the Niners again. They got the Niners and the Chiefs and the Rams twice. Um you know, if they can get And the Niners have a leg up on the division tiebreaker too. So Right. So if they can if they can nip they got they're on the bye this week are the Seahawks. So if they come back and they can beat the Raiders and take at least one from the Rams of the two that they have, beat the Panthers maybe. There's three wins there. They got to get to four wins to get to ten wins, and that that might that'll do it to get them in the playoffs. Yeah. That'll do it. They may not win the division at ten wins, but they're getting in the playoffs. They're getting in the playoffs. So they could, st- which is a heck, yeah. a heck of an achievement. I mean, <laughs> compared to what everybody thought they were going to be. Well, <laughs> I, I'm not saying this to be with Geno Smith at quarterback. Which say that before this mm-hmm. season started. And you're like, are you kidding me? Pete Carroll should be coach of the year if you give him those parameters. Get to the playoffs, trading Russ Wilson, replacing him with Geno Smith, 
and get to the playoffs in the NFC West with the defending mm. world champions and the team that went to the Super Bowl just before that in your division. That's pretty. Yeah, good. the last that's, two NFC champions, right? That's that's pretty good trick. That's pretty mm-hmm. good trick. Uh, we got to get to the topic of discussion today because in the wake of the most recent loss, Bills fans are gripping a little bit. We get why it's a tight race in the AFC conference and in the AFC East. So we're coming to you for answers. What's the best approach for the Bills? to get back on track. You can let us know at 803-0550-1888-550-2550 is the number to get on board. Got open lines for you there. Or you can hit us up on the tweet sheet at One Bills Live. And I'm sure there are a bounty (laughs) of suggestions that we're going to get today. As Steve likes to say, people love to give advice. And uh, we're here to take it. So if you have some possible solutions that you think will make the bills a better performing team after their last two outings have at it. I'm curious to see what bills fans are thinking on this subject. Yeah. You have anything that comes right to the top of your head? Steve? Well, no, to me, I've said it a bunch. I even said it. I think I said it on bills tonight, right after the game when we recorded that. I think this is a team that you got to trust the process. They're really good because they do things the right way all day, every day. So just keep doing that and just try and do it a little better. Um, this is a team that loses games in the quirkiest of manners. Uh, it takes a gargantuan effort to beat the Buffalo Bills and some breaks, either given to you by the Bills or made by the bounce of the ball or some other happenstance circumstance. That is... That's how. That's what it takes to beat this team. So don't worry. Don't think you have to transform your practice schedule or eat something different on game day or change. You know, or you know, revamp your philosophy offensively. None of that stuff. None of that stuff. This is a this is a crazy hard team to beat, and they're hard to even hang in there with. So. You don't. There should be zero, zero panic in this room. The Bills let a team off the hook that was seven and one in that game, coming into that game, and they threw the most unlikely of miracles. They got out of there with a win. So don't think because that happened, you're doing something wrong because you're not. I think the Bills are on it exactly where they should be and every game is an opportunity for them to prove it I there's no doubt too though I think Josh needs to take a deep breath and realize he doesn't have to do it by himself Um, I think somebody you know needs to just get him take a deep breath on game day and realize take what's there and relax and move the football down the field for a touchdown every single time Uh, if you do that you know you're Everything, all your hopes and dreams are going to come true. So yeah. I think that's where I'm at, Brownie. Yeah, I'll I'll kind of share my thoughts in a second, but we want to kind of get to the phones here. So let's do that. And leading us off today is Doc in Williamsville. What do you got for us, Doc? You're on One Bills Live. Well, uh, first of all, statistics are for losers. They fall in the category <laughs> of shoulda, coulda, woulda. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. And here's some statistics for you from the uh, from the game. The Buffalo Bills in the first half ran the ball 17 times, and they passed the ball 17 times. 
That's a coach's dream. The second half, we ran the ball nine times, threw the ball 24 times. Something I learned a long time ago in my early coaching career, every time you throw the football, three things happen. Two are negative. That's all I want to say. All right, Doc, we gave thanks. up on the run game much, much too early. Thanks for the call, Doc. And I'll tell you this: yeah, that's I don't know when you coach, but if you're not going to throw the, if you want to run the ball instead of throwing it in the NFL, you're going to lose every game, every single game. Um, I get it. It makes everybody yeah, the feel game's warm. Changed. It makes everybody feel warm and cozy when they can run the ball at will and they don't have to do anything else, and you feel all superior. Uh, that's just not the way it works in the NFL. And I get it, too. And I'll say this. You're right. That first half was a dream. 24 points uh, on pace to score 48 for the game. Feel like you left some out there because you threw an interception. Uh, You know, you feel like you're just on top of it. And it's all great. The problem is the other team plays football, too. And what are you going to do if you go first down, run, stuff second down run stuff third down run stuff and it's third it's fourth and ten and you got to punt it six series in a row because that's what will happen let me let me let me throw this at you steve because i found the approach of the washington commanders very interesting last night they beat the eagles because they stayed committed and look i'm not saying the bills need to do this as an approach i was in i was i was fascinated by the commitment that Washington had to their run game. Now they got up on the Eagles early, so that certainly helped and afforded them the opportunity to continue running the football. But at halftime, Washington had 29 rush attempts and they finished with 49 and they had a time of possession of 40 and a half minutes. They never let Jalen Hurts get the football Uh, to drive the field, score quickly, and do all the things that the Eagles have been doing this year. It was a good game plan for that opponent, for the Washington Commanders, and who they are. I'm not saying the Bills are that, but I'm wondering if there's a way to make the run game more effective while staying true to your identity as a passing team. You have to get there in some way, shape, or form. So when you're in a second and two, the opponent genuinely believes this could be a run or a pass. It seems like it's it's been hard for the Bills to convince opponents we might run here. I totally um, get it. But here's the problem. Yeah, that's great. If you hand it off on first down and it's second and two, yeah, keep running it. But if you hand it off and now it's second and 11, don't do that anymore. That's what yeah. happens to the Bills. They don't get to second and two after they hand it off. When they do, right. they keep doing it. But then when they don't, they stop because it brings up a third and 14. Which is what happened in the fourth quarter, and that's why they got away from the running that's game. That's the problem. They tried it in the third if you quarter, wanna, if you want to keep running the ball. first and 10, single to, Yeah. If you want to keep running the ball, get four yards or five yards a pop all the time. Don't get 0, 0, 0, 0, 20, then 0, 0, 0, 0. Yeah. And so if – if that's the problem, if it's the functionality of your run game, do you change the personnel to see if that improves the functionality of your run game? And what I'm getting at there, obviously, is more Hines and Cook. Yeah, I, I'm fine with that. I, and I'll say this, too. I, you can't win if you turn it over, and and Singletary turns it over too much for me. I mean, you haven't seen it very much this year. It's happened a couple of times. 
It happened in this last game, this game this last week, and it really snuffed out yeah. the momentum they had in the first half. And even though it probably wasn't a fumble, he was probably down when it came out. They couldn't review it, and it, and it went against you. I'm, you know, so I'm. He's not a home run. Hit, Devin's not a home run hitter, and he coughs it up a little bit too much for a lot of people. He drops passes a little too much. Um, you can think back across that, and and he's you know, so you know there's some strikes against him. Yes, and if you want to, if you do want to change it up, and I get it, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that changing running backs sometimes can help. But the problem is, once the season starts, you can't change five offensive linemen to find out if that's the problem. You're you're stuck with the best offensive lineman you can get, and everybody's looking for him. But you're you know these guys are the guys you're going to go with, and uh, sometimes, to me, it's not about the offensive line. Yeah, I I just I'm not saying put Singletary on the bench. I think he's for the most part a pretty reliable performer, uh, but as you mentioned, he's he's just not the home run threat, and I think he. I think it would behoove them to work Hines and Cook into the scheme and the game plan each week a little bit more. And you, who knows, you might pop one like the Vikings did on the seventh carry that Dalvin Cook had. I'm all you for know that's that's what's at work <laughs> there for me. I'm I'm all for uh, you know rotating guys in, keeping them fresh like they do on the defensive line and stuff. Um, and and they have shown the propensity with their running back position. They've been very willing to rotate guys in and out, or, or and then not do that when, like, when Devin Singletary last year at the end of the season, when they started making hay uh, as a running team, they left him in. It was only for a moment they would bring him out and then put him, plug him right back in. They tend to go yeah. with a hot hand at that spot, and I I agree with that. And until they find somebody who is a hot hand, like last on the in the first halves. Sunday against Minnesota, that was Devin. That was Motor. Yeah, he, he was, was the well. hot hand. And they gave it to him, like you said, he, they gave it to him 17 times. That's big. But it all went away for some reason. That's a problem. And, you know, that's what those are the See, I, that's the challenge you got to go after. Right. And I think that's where Bills fans watching that say, okay, if that's not working, switch it up, change the personnel dynamic change the play calling dynamic. Cause when you put cook or Hines on the field, there's, there's more that you can choose from in terms of getting out on the edges, making people miss in space, those kinds of things. And I think that was the readjustment that some bills fans were looking for, at least in terms of the feedback I've gotten the last couple yeah. of days. Yeah. Uh, we gotta, we gotta take a break here. Uh, but those of you on hold, we are taking more of your phone calls. We are wide open today on today's show. So keep uh, stay right where you are. We'll get to you as we take, as we are asking you today, what is your suggestion for the approach the Bills need to take, the best approach the Bills can take to get back on track this week? 803-0550. We're back in a flash here on One Bills Live, presented by Collada Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you here on a Tuesday, and we want to get right back to the phones as we are asking you today. 
What's your best approach for the Bills to get back on track and in the winning column, most importantly? And phone lines, 803-0550-188-550-2550, the number to get on board. We lead off with Gary on a cell. What do you got for us, Gary, or on One Bills Live? Hey, guys. How you all doing? Good. Good. Oh, I think I fixed them by playing smart football. The last eight weeks, can you say I'm eight quarters? I'm sorry. The second half Packers, the Jets, and the uh, Viking game, can you say that's smart football? Well, the first half of the Viking game looked really good, um, but you can pick and choose. But I get what you're saying. Go ahead. Well, I mean, when it got down to the, the uh, red zone interception for the third game in a row against the uh, Vikings, wasn't that first and goal, if I'm correct on that, on that drive? It was, uh, it, it was second. No, on the, on the last one, I think he did it on a second down and a second and ten. Yeah, from the second down. And then the one earlier was on fourth and two, obviously. Yeah, it's fourth and two, yeah. But you're right. He did it twice. What I'm saying, guys, is it's not about numbers of how many times you run the ball throw it. It's smart football. You you run the ball when you have an advantage, and you throw the ball when you have an advantage. And, I mean, fourth down, throw it out of the end zone. Or kick the field goal. What was the score there? Wasn't it like would have been a nine-point game if they kicked the field goal? I think if they kick the field goal, they go up by 13. Yes. But if you get the touchdown, you go up by 17, and it's a three-score game, not a two-score game. That was that was the motivation. Right. Man, plus, plus Gary, the, the, the deal was, too, that if – and here's the thing. you always It is a gamble, no question, to go for it on fourth and two. It, but if you don't get it, it was second and 10 on the, like, 10 or 12-yard line, just outside the line. They've got 88 or 89 yards to go – to get a score. The worst catastrophic thing that could happen is if they pick it off and run it back. And they could have run it back for a touchdown, but they got it to the 34-yard line. Bad enough in and of itself, but they went from being a 90% probability to score to like a 40% or 50% probability to get a touch uh, field goal at least out of that drive when they returned it to the 34-yard line. So the roll of the dice, not only did it come up snake eyes, they throw, they shove the dice down your throat by picking it off. So it was the worst possible scenario to happen to him twice in that succession. Obviously, once with that red zone interception that should have been on a fourth and two, they should have turned it over on downs. Even if they turn it over on downs, the Vikings got ninety yards to go to get a touchdown, and they go and they got you know sixty yards to go to get a field goal. That's low probability. What happened was they picked it off and ran it back 30 yards, 35 yards, and then their probabilities are actually pretty good. So the worst possible thing happened. And then fast forward it again. You got the game one. All you got to do is get a, a, a quarterback sneak out of the end zone. The worst possible, the complete worst possible thing happens. You fumble it, and it gets a touchdown to the other team that gives them a lead with a minute to go in the ball game. Two yeah. catastrophic plays went completely against you, and then a fourth and 18, a third one, a fourth and 18, all you got to do is get the ball on the ground, and because you try and pick it off, a guy wrenches it away, and he picks it off. There are three plays in that right there that I just mentioned that were game stoppers, all of which went against you in the not just a bad way, the worst possible way they could have gone. That's what happened. And you can yeah. he's right. Smart football is one thing, but man oh man. The Vikings got a horseshoe. 
They got a horseshoe. Right. They had a couple of horseshoes. Um, and their luck will probably run out in due course as well, much like it did for yeah. the Eagles last they, night I'll on Monday what, Night though. Football. But, it, yeah. but as far as Gary's point about playing smart football, I get where he's coming from. You know, Josh has made some ill-advised decisions. I think he would even admit that he has forced the ball at times when he had check down options available. And he was an expert at using those check down options earlier in the season when this team was not big on explosion plays, but they were remarkably efficient in finishing drives with points because they were taking the check down stuff and staying on schedule because teams were dead set on not giving them anything over the top. And somewhere along the way, Josh decided to kind of push the ball down the field more of late and he's fallen victim to a turnover bug. And yeah. the only way to get past that is as Gary says with smarter football, but it goes beyond just that. Gary, um, I, it's it's kind of a sweeping generalization to make. I know what you're driving at, but there's more at work there than just smart football playing. Josh making better decisions will unquestionably help. He's got the ball in his hands on every single play. Um, but I think it goes even further than that. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And he's Gary's right. I mean, when you when you get a team that's that close to being razor thin and two really good football teams in this last game. And you get on the razor's edge of which way this game is going to go for you or against you. You know, you make a mistake and it's magnified. And then you start dissecting why the guy made the mistake. And you start to see all these dark circumstances come in. Like, is, like why is Josh all of a sudden turning the ball over in the red zone? He's turned it over more in the red zone or as much in the red zone in each of the last two games as he did his entire career before that. Something's up with that. Yeah. You know, right? So I don't want to see any dark forces or any some sort of conspiracy thing where all of a sudden Josh has gone off the rails, right? I mean, dark forces, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, listen, the guy got to play. He's got. He's got to realize he doesn't have to do that every. He's, just take. Just throw it to Devin. Let him get five yards. Let's line up and do it again and take the yeah, check now down. You're second and five. Yeah. It almost seems it when Josh drops back and takes the completions. I know it seems almost like cheating. It's too easy for him. And he doesn't feel like he's playing as well as he can play when he's just taking the easy completions that are so easy for him to take. It almost feels it must feel like it's cheating to him. Um, because yeah, he, he wants to increase the degree of difficulty. I guess. <laughs> Please don't do that. Right. <laughs> you don't need to. <laughs> right. He's just, you know, take a deep breath and dink it down because once you do that, they start playing defense differently, and all of a sudden you're going 98 yards over the top on the third play of the game against Pittsburgh. I mean, that's really what that's right. what happens. Well, yeah, and that was a byproduct of them being as efficient as they were through the first four weeks, taking the check down and the short stuff. Finally, some team kind of decides, oh, we're going to scrunch down and squat on that stuff, and then bang, over the top yeah. for some big plays. Let's go back to the phones, and we go to Isaac in Buffalo next. What do you got for us, Isaac, here on One Bills Live? Well, uh First of all, I'd like to say hello, Chris. Hello, Steve. One of my favorite players. I was around in the 90s. Matter of fact, I was at that greatest comeback, and that was just a great game. Thank you. But my comment is I'm a football guy. I love football. I watch so many things. and People don't realize there's so much more to football, and a lot of it is mental. And when you got all these mental things, and I, as much as I hate to say it, i got to give Belichick and some of these whispering coaches some credit. Because they know that every team's different, every situation is different. Making sure your guys' heads are where they need to be 
is probably one of the best things you can do when you're running a football team because who knows the team better than you do? Damn sure not the opponent. It's the coaches and the staff and the trainers and all those guys. So when you're running these competitive teams, guys that have a bunch of talent, and God, we know that the AFC is loaded with talent this year, and there's a lot of guys who are playing very good football and some better than we even expected. And these games that we're losing is because, like you said, both Brownie and uh, you, Steve, said some things that are just like pinnacles right up there when you're talking about, you know, guys making plays, especially our number one, Josh Allen. He gets a thrill out of being competitive. He's a great competitor. And, yes, he loves it. That's why he does it. He loves it. But I've seen some things, and I don't want to talk too much about it because it's sort of like that gag order I'm sure they had in New England. Sometimes when a guy gets a little stinger or something like that, he tries to play it off. He's got a lot of things that he can do. If he's a, a, a standing talent, one of those outstanding talents like Josh Allen, some of those other guys who are out there who can do things that he can do, not very many. He's a small group of company when it comes to that. But they're not going to tell you when something's hurting them or bothering them. Now, in his career, he's got that shoulder injury and an elbow injury. So when he's trying to make plays and extend plays and you show see him throwing off by a couple, you know, meters because of one thing or another. It's because that accuracy yet early on in the year when he was feeling close to 100%, it drops off as you play the game. And having those type of injuries, you know, Steve, like anybody, it becomes a nag. And it comes a point in the game where you realize that, you know what, I can't do that. But when you're in the midst of a play and you're trying to make a play like he does all the time, we know that that's what he can do and what he does so well and has been, you know, the inventor of a lot of his success and, and, and popularity. If All right. Let us hop that, in here, Isaac, because uh, we're up against the break I'm and sorry. we appreciate the call. All right, Thanks. Um, Isaac. Good stuff. Yeah. Um, appreciate the call, Isaac. I would say, look, I think we need a little more evidence on the field to determine whether or not Josh is limited in, in any way by his elbow injury. We certainly didn't, it certainly didn't feel like that was an issue in last week's game. Otherwise he's not throwing it 43 times uh, from start to finish. Right. I mean, if you're concerned about wear and tear on the elbow, are you having him throw it 43 times? I don't know that you are. Um, So I, I think we need a little more evidence in the coming weeks here. And I don't believe he ever had a shoulder injury. He had a foot injury in that uh, game against the bucks. He went on a long run down the left sideline, got attacked from behind, limped the rest of the game. And then was fine the next week. He's a he's a remarkably fast healer, Steve. I don't know if he's going to heal up from the elbow injury quickly, but I, I think we need to see more games before anybody can pass judgment on whether or not he's limited by that. Yeah, you got to you just got to take him at his word. I mean, you saw him. He th- he made some th- he made throws. I mean, he, he looked normal to me. Um, and he's going to get he'll get closer to being on top, and it'll be a thing of the past, and he'll, there'll be a week. He's probably still getting treatment on it uh, this week. Uh, probably get a day off this week, probably, um, in addition to today, which they always take off. We'll see. We'll see. And I, Yeah, there's a chance it could have been nagging at him, and it might nag him going forward, but that you know, we just have to take, you have to take him at his word. That's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of layers to this, right? Yeah. So – 
I don't know. I, I think you, you have to – if he's fine, he's going to throw it, and he's going to be fine. He's, you're going to have to make it – and he's right. I mean, Josh may be belittling this injury that may be more serious than he wants to let anybody know. I kind of doubt that. Um, but it could be. It could be. I yeah. know this. It's just like, it's like trying to um, diagnose somebody with a concussion. You've got to ask them how they feel. And if they tell you they're fine, what are you going to do? Well, then you got to pull out the testing equipment. That's what you got to do next, because if they're not going to tell you, you got to let the guy's body tell you what's going on. That's right. And there are ways to do that. All right. We got to take a break here. Uh, For those of you on hold, stay right where you are. We're pounding phone calls today for all two hours. So if you have an idea on what you think is the best approach to get the bills back on track, let us have it. So those holding on 803-0550, we'll get to you when we return here on One Bills Live presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Oh, snap. Snapdragon apples are now available. Fuel your game day adventures with Snapdragon apples now available at Wegmans. Snapdragon apples, the official apple of your Buffalo Bills. What we're talking about today is the best approach you believe is for the Bills to get back on track after their first losing streak of the season. Now drop two straight to fall to six and three on the season. And we go back to the phones. And Mark in West Seneca is going to lead us off here. What do you got for us, Mark? You're on One Bills Live. Gentlemen, uh, I haven't called you in a while, but after that last game, I'm happy I'm able to call you because I almost had a heart of stroke. It, it was just A heart of stroke? That sounds yeah, very heart serious. Stroke. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, um, uh, just a couple of things. Uh, what I called for was I have a question uh, and I do have uh, an idea of how they, what they need to do, but I also want to make a comment about what Gary said about uh, the previous caller, Gary, about smart football. If you give me that leeway here for a second, quickly, Gabe Davis. I haven't heard this that I remember in the past, but I heard it a few weeks ago. And Brownie, I think you said it again yesterday, sort of in the gist of a conversation, that he doesn't run the full route tree. And my question is, is uh, is that because of the schemes that are running and they need him to run certain patterns to clear areas and things of that nature? Is it because of his skill set or, or is it just the play calling? Uh, I, I'm just curious about that. Um, as far as what they need to do, number one, defensively, just get healthy. Get as healthy as possible. They'll be fine back there. Uh, secondly, offensively, I think they get a little bit myopic, and I don't know if this is, again, play calling or if this is Josh. But I think their passing attack gets a little myopic and vertical, too vertical all the time, and they don't consistently attack all over the field, all areas of the field. So, and I think we've had that problem in the past, in my opinion. And then lastly, the, the comment about smart football. Strip away everything that happened in that game. They were roughly 40 seconds from winning the game, just getting the ball in play in the field of play. And our team has shown us all year long the biggest weakness we have on offense is short yardage and a push between the tackles when we need it, when the other team suspects that's where we're going, and we try to go there. We have shown that all year long. And I don't care what anybody says. 
That call was the most horrific call I've ever seen in football. Everybody watching that game knew Josh was going to sneak that ball. Everybody. And they could have done 100 other things uh, to get that ball out of the end zone. Uh, They could have put it in Josh's hand, faked the ball into the line, and he could have rolled out. And if somebody came up on him, throw it out of bounds. Or if it's a little guy, fight him off, get outside the goal line, and then the game's over. But that call, I mean, the ball was six inches from the goal line. If we run into a wall, you know, Josh was going to have everything he could if that wall stood up just to get the ball off the goal line. So I I just could not believe I saw that call. So thanks, guys. I appreciate it. We'll handle all those, Mark. Yeah, no problem. Um, Let's start with, I think Steve and I kind of addressed the goal line call yesterday and said a lot of what Mark said. So I don't know that we even need to address that, but yes, with it being on the six inch line, as opposed to the one yard line, there is a difference in what you should probably call there because there is literally zero margin for error. If you're going to call a sneak and it's on the six inch line, as opposed to the one yard line, there is a difference. Um, And we can, you know, we talked about all the different scenarios that you could have done instead of that. It didn't work, whatever. I'll address Gabe Davis. You address the other point, Steve. I was encouraged that we saw on Sunday Gabe Davis running a crossing route. I can't remember, and he caught the ball. He was throwing the ball, and he caught it on the crossing route also. I can't remember outside of a red zone play where he's running across the back of the end zone the last time I saw Gabe Davis run a crossing route. So that encouraged me. It it, it actually made me think, hey, maybe they are diversifying his route tree, trying a few different things, because a lot of times he's just running routes outside the numbers, occasionally a deep post route but nothing across the middle of the field. And that's where I think you could use his physicality and his body to his advantage on those plays, especially when opponents are playing more man, because he's just going to have an advantage there because of his size. He's a bigger target for Josh to hit in the middle of the field, kind of like he does with Dawson Knox. So that encouraged me. I hope we see more of that, but yes, we were talking about it last week, diversify Gabe's route tree so he can help you more in the passing game. Yeah, and the other thing that uh, Mark was talking about, too, was the the fact that the passing game seems to be a little bit single-minded, a little too vertical, trying to push it down, getting bigger chunks of yardage. They were really successful early in the season getting rid of the ball on time uh, and making the defense play the passing game all across the field from the line of scrimmage all the way off the – all the way down to the the back end line. So I think – and it's we don't know. I mean, here's the question we don't know, Brownie. All of us know that, you know, they haven't been successful enough throwing the football. Josh didn't throw it well enough this last Sunday. Was it because of the plays called by Ken Dorsey or was it because of the decisions that Josh made of where to try and throw the football? Uh, was Josh passing up easy completions because he wanted a, a splash play or were the was Ken Dorsey – is, is he coaching him to do that? Um, we may never know the answer, the full answer to that, but I will say this. I, I, um, when you watch him, there are guys he can throw to. There are options that are quick. Yeah, we've seen examples of it. Quick and easy options for him to get rid of the ball and take the easy completion. Um, now, if he's not doing that, I won't, Ken Dorsey should want to know why. 
and they you know they got to they got to have a conversation as to why if there's good reasons for it fine and i think and i don't think there's any simple answer some of it's probably ken dorsey asking him to do some things and josh not being able to or willing to do it or not seeing it or the defense gets you and snaps it off before you can do it and then there's probably times when josh does go to the wrong guy or or force a play or try to wait a little too long um to make an easy completion it's probably a mixture of all of that stuff the qu- the thing is you got to make more good plays than you have bad plays. And I think they're leaving some things on the field, particularly in the short passing game, that they're not using. So I, I, I see what Mark sees. Sometimes it seems like Josh is just trying to wait for these guys to get open down the field and then gun it in there on, with making a spectacular throw when there are probably two other options on a five-yard yeah. or ten-yard route that he could let it loose and let him get run after the catch. I mean, we'll see. I mean, I think there's both of those things yeah. going on. I realize that Tom Brady is not the physical specimen that Josh is, but Tom Brady has carved a Hall of Fame career out of taking the easy completion. I mean, that's that's the method to his success and seven Super Bowl titles is taking what the defense gives him every single time. May not be spectacular, but man, is it effective. And that's what's made him so good for so long. We have to take a break here. We're up against it. But David in Cleveland. Brian in Alabama and others holding at 803-0550. Stay right where you are. we got more of your phone calls coming up next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, Buffalo Bills Radio. Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, here we are on a Tuesday, hour number two. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you, and we're talking about best approach for the Bills to get back on track. 803-0550, the number to jump on board and give us your suggestions. And we're going right back to the phones here as we got a lot of people that have been waiting patiently. And we lead off with David in Cleveland. David, what do you got for us here on One Bills Live? Hey guys, uh, thanks for taking my call today. Um, first of all, I've been listening for a while. Steve, I was a huge fan of yours growing up so much that I modeled my special teams game after you. Um, huh. But just wanted to say, um, you know, in regards to what we can do this season, I think that we, um, you know, we have to, we all have to, as fans, I got to take a step back and realize that like these injuries are killing us. And for some reason, the injury bug is in the building. So we just got to deal with it. Um, I have, got to believe that if we do two different things, uh, one on offense and, you know, if we had all of our defenders back, we'd probably be in better shape. But I think the one thing that might be holding us up is Devin Singletary. Um, I think he's a great running back. I just don't know if he's the answer. I mean, if he was the answer, we wouldn't have drafted two backs right after him. Um, so I, I think that that might be the problem offensively. And um, I know a lot of people are talking about with Brian Dable being in Josh's head and Josh's ear back in the, you know, when he was the OC and now it's Dorsey, but Dorsey was his quarterback's coach. So I think Dorsey was in there just as much. And um, 
I don't think he's missing him. I think that it's just, you know, he's, he's learning to do it on his own now, but other than that, I think we're fine. I mean, we're, we're six and three and anybody that I think was expecting, you know, an undefeated season or, I mean, even one loss at this point was kind of kidding themselves. Um, but I'd love to hear your guys take on, on that as far as, you know, maybe Devin Singletary is not the answer. And then um, I did mention the, the injuries thing, uh, Tredavious White's, ACL. I know that when my brother tore his, it took him a, a whole year to get back to it. And, um, you know, I know you guys are both athletes in different sports. So, you know, your again, your thoughts on that, um, just maybe a little bit more in depth than what you've done, given your athletic background. Uh, thanks again for taking my call and go bills. Thanks, Dave. All right. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. Um, I'll, why don't you take the injury one, Steve, since, you know, you've probably had a more storied injury history than I did. I was pretty fortunate. Um, but let's begin with the running back situation. He thinks that too much Devin Singletary might be the issue here. And as I said in the first hour, I'm all for diversifying the personnel usage in the running game, namely Hines and Cook, who offer you more speed to the edges. I think they can make people miss in space and then take it for a giant gain. Devin's great at making people miss. We saw him do that in last week's game, but what did, what did it turn into? It was a 21 yard run. If you have cook or Hines on that play and they make those guys miss, it might be a touchdown. That's the difference for me. And so I'm not saying you sit Devin Singletary on the bench. He's been consistent. He's been a producer. Josh clearly loves having him on the field. So I'm not saying you sit him on the bench, but I think you you roll guys through. And if somebody wants to argue with me about, oh, well, you need the guy to play most of the snaps so the running back can get into the rhythm, this team doesn't run the football enough for anybody to get into a rhythm. So roll those guys through. Try to call plays that are most advantageous and maximize their respective skill sets and see if you can get a little bit more out of it. Um whether it's a scheme change with the personnel. Uh, I was talking yesterday with Eric Wood about more wide zone because we don't seem to be seeing enough of that, and I think that's where those two fast guys would thrive. But that's kind of where I come down on that. Yeah, I, I'm. Uh, their propensity has been, it seems like their philosophy to me is that, listen, we're going to get a guy in there, and if whoever can get it going – is going to get more opportunities. Uh, I don't think they're married to having anyone. Yeah, I, I don't. I am too. I, I. They're not married to having any one guy in there. But Devin Singletary has been the guy that has consistently, when they've needed it, he's the guy that's gotten them yards. Uh, certainly, he gets more opportunities because of that than anybody else. Uh, but nobody else has come in, and with this offensive line and this offensive coordinator and quarterback, no, no other running back that they've tried. And they've let's face it, they've tried a, a bunch over the last three or four years, nobody's been able to do as well as Devin Singletary has. Not James Cook, not Duke Johnson, you know, none of these guys. Uh, the guys that they had last year, uh, Zach Moss, he couldn't, you know, nobody is as productive or as consistent as Devin Singletary. So, and, and they drafted James Cook this year uh, with a different skill set. They traded for Naheem Hines with a different skill set. So when those guys start to come in and make a difference for the offense, maybe they'll get more more opportunities. But they're not going to get it until they make hay because this offense ain't going to wait on them. And I, I don't think it should. You get what you get. If you're not going to make the most of an opportunity they hand you to, hand to you, 
you're going to sit. That's the way yeah. it is. And I do think you got to know think that. James Cook has flashed here and there. I mean, you remember his his run in the Pittsburgh game that went for a touchdown, and they're up thirty. A they're other up thirty times. to nothing. You know, I mean, Pittsburgh's done. I get it. Um, then do it in. Do it yeah. against the other. Do it in the other moments you get in there. I mean, he's had well. Some it was other interesting games. because you know last week they had one play with twenty personnel on the field, and it was Hines and Cook in the backfield. Next to Josh, Cook got the ball, went for minus one yards. We never saw it again. Um, one snap is, I mean, come on. Um, how many first and tens did we see last week where, you know, Motor got nothing and it's second and ten? I mean, that happened at least three times in the game last week. Yeah, so it happens I, too I much. guess what I'm saying is, well, right. But and, and, and for Cook and, and Hines, it's probably not enough. So I just balance that out a little bit better. Again, I'm not saying put Singletary on the bench. I think he's a productive, reliable player, but he's not a game breaker. And, you know, if you're looking to make your life a little bit easier, maybe give those guys a couple more opportunities and they might pleasantly surprise you. Well, yeah, and I get it. I mean, I, I think there is very little patience on this offense for anything that does not go well. Because they do so yeah. much really well. They got a guy on the outside, number 14, who's really good. Oh, yeah, and that's why he's got three times the number of catches as everybody else. They feed, they feed, they feed, you know, that which gives them a return on that investment. But let's not forget this, Steve. Week one against the Rams, nine different guys caught the football, and they had four turnovers and won 31 to 10. I mean, you can spread the ball around and be just as effective because of the guy pulling the trigger back there. Well, that's the thing. That's not, that's not Ken Dorsey. That's Josh. That's a decision maker. You know, that's the guy with the ball in his hands. Because Ken, they're not, they're not running plays for these guys not to get open. And you and I have seen it. You, you watch it on film. You watch the All-22 a little bit. There are guys that Josh could go to. Now, they may be the third or fourth option sometimes. But they're there, and if Josh wants them, and sometimes they're open real quick. So not every play, of course, but there's plenty of opportunity to get the ball out of his hand without staring down Steph Diggs. Right. Let's get back to the phones. Let's go to Brian in Alabama, who's been waiting a while. What do you got for us, Brian? Hey, good afternoon, fellas. Um, I hate to sound redundant or a broken record, but just kind of touch on what you guys just spoke about in the last caller. Uh, for me, this team is almost loyal to a fault, um, especially with some of the weapons that they have. And, Steve, you mentioned that Devin, Devin Singletary, he gets his opportunities. But I like, like Chris just mentioned, I can count on both hands how many times I've seen Devin Singletary run into a brick wall and get nothing. And so I, I feel like if you inject – more of the talent, more of the speed that you have on your depth, on, on, on your roster with James Cook and Hines now. I know he has to speed up and catch up on the playbook. I feel like this will help this offense out tremendously going forward. I, I think I saw a stat where Josh Allen accounts for over 80% of their offensive product, production. And to me, if you inject some more of that speed on the field, um, and would love to see Shakir, uh, uh, Shakir out there more. I, I, I don't know what, what the holdup with him is, but it just feels like it'll do this offense a, a, a service if, if they add those weapons in. Um, because I, 
I, I feel like Gabe Davis is almost limited in his route running. I know you guys talked about that earlier. Uh, so it, it would just be refreshing to see some of that offensive talent on the field more uh, just to kind of switch things up. And so that's, that's all I had. Okay. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, I, I, <laughs> he's in my camp. Uh, just try it. I mean, I don't know. You might be pleasantly surprised. Just, I, I'm going to talk. I'm not saying put James Cook in the game and give him 20 carries. I'm not saying that at all. But maybe if you're going to run the ball 24 times in the game total on 65, 70 plays, maybe give him eight to 10. Like, he hasn't even gotten that. No, he's, I, I can't think of a time when he's got consecutive touches. Right? He's gotten 15, I think 15 snaps is his high play time in a game aside from the 18 snaps he got against Pittsburgh. And as you pointed out, that was a blowout game. Did you, did 15 he, snaps? Have you seen him take, have the ball in his hands on consecutive plays? It's hard to think maybe of. Maybe once. Maybe once. Maybe. Yeah. I, I guess. Just it. a little bit more. I think, yeah, I think our, I think Brian from Alabama was right. I, they are loyal. I mean, Sean McDermott and this coach, they are loyal to a fault. And I think it takes a long time and a lot of certainty before they trust anybody. Um, Certainly, Devin Singletary had to go through that before he was given more reps than, you know, LaShawn McCoy was, you know, all those guys. Um, It's been a while. And they got to – go ahead. I was just going to say, I got all the respect in the world for Coach McDermott's approach of you have to earn everything you get here in Buffalo. I, yeah. I've got enormous amount of respect for that. Um, but by all indications, even from coach McDermott, when he's been asked about it, he said he was encouraged by what James cook has done in the practice setting the last several weeks. And that it's kind of clicked in for him as to what the expectations are and how they run daily operations here. And what you have to do every day in practice, strive to get that one or 2% better than you were the day before so if he's if he's totally bought in, he's doing all the right things. Give the kid a chance. You drove, you yeah. draft him in the second round for a reason. So yeah. and and again, I'm not saying all 24 carries, James Cook, give him the ball, put everybody else on the bench. I'm not saying that. Can we get to like eight to ten carries? Yeah, I mean, Can I, we get I there. Get it. And listen, to this, I, it's easy to talk about this after you have a loss like you did on Sunday, where one play would yeah. have made a difference, and we're just now halfway through. James Cook's rookie season. So I'm, you know, fine. We'll give him some time. I And it seems like... And you traded little, for Hines. And it seems a little urgent because they did make a trade for Hines. It seems like they want to make a move to try and get better there. And then when they make these moves, they're not using them right away, right? Yeah. So the, their second-round draft pick and the guy they just traded for seem to be kind of gathering dust on the shelf. And you wonder why that is. Um, yeah, I mean, because the thing for me, Steve, and we've talked about this, the Bills, you know, fans who watch all these games, they say our running game's got to be more effective than it is. I think we all wholeheartedly agree. And yet they're ranked 10th in rushing because Josh is the running game. Yeah. And, and it, and it kind of shrouds everything a little bit. And I, I think if you pivot the other way and maybe diversify the personnel usage there in your run game, you may not have to put as much of that rushing burden on Josh, and you may be pleasantly surprised with the results that you get. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you'd love to have somebody else running it than Josh because I right? I, I was shocked 
the other night when he was running against Minnesota. And you remember late in the game during overtime when he he takes on that linebacker and the guy's got his leg up in the air and he's hopping around. I was shocked that four Vikings weren't coming in head first into Josh trying to whack him. I was shocked that it took yeah. everybody so long to get over there. That when you get a quarterback like Josh was hopping on one leg, pulling the linebacker down the field, man, you I mean guys He's a sitting are duck dying to go get a shot on their quarterback. I mean, they they're trying to be that guy to go in there and concuss him. I mean, don't I'm yeah, not just sugarcoating it. That's the game right there, hopping up on down on one leg. Get take a shot at him. He goes down, three guys kind of just walk up to him and look around. I can't believe they weren't and taking shots at him. And I'm when they see it on film, I'm sure somebody bring it up. Because when he's running the ball like that, he doesn't get the protection that Taylor Heineke got last night on the last part of that game in Philly. He doesn't well, get no, any protection. He declared himself as a runner. He's yeah. a running back, a kick returner. He's a target. And I can't believe guys didn't take advantage of it in that moment. He got lucky yeah. to me. So I'm all with you. Hand the football to somebody who's lower to the ground and doesn't have the weight of the franchise on, you know, resting on his health. And maybe even a little bit faster than Josh, who is fast, but those guys might be faster too. Uh, let's get back to the phones and we go to Dave and Amherst next. What do you got for, oh, hold on. What do you got for us, Dave? You're on one bills live. Hi, how you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Good. Sure. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just curious uh, before uh, Josh Allen's first interception, didn't they have a second and two, a third and two, and a fourth and two, and on fourth down, he threw the interception. I'm just curious why, as Steve just said, the first caller today is talking about running the ball, you know, is, you know, passing the ball three, two, two things, and uh, three things that happened to a bad. And then Steve says, well, yeah, when you get to a short yardage situation, you should run the ball. Second and two, third and two, fourth and two. And they threw every time. <laughs> I mean, come on, you got, if you can't make two yards, on a second and two and three plays, you've got a problem. Uh, I, I, am I right? Am I correct in in reviewing this game? Is that the situation that happened? I'm pretty sure it did. They got yeah. There was start. a series where that did happen. Yes, and on yeah. fourth and two, there was an interception. So yeah, um, in the end zone. Yes, that did that did happen. Yeah, I don't understand why you can't run the ball with uh in three plays and make two yards. That's all. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, at times it, the Bills have not yeah. been able to do that. Believe it or I not, I get it. Um, I get it, Dave. If you if you do something and it doesn't work, you should have done the other thing. Uh, okay, you're right. It's frustrating, particularly when you throw a pick on fourth and two instead of just trying to you know get to the line of scrimmage and get the ball you know run it, tuck it under your arm and take it yourself. There's a million things that could have happened and sh maybe should have happened, would have happened. And like I said earlier, the only worst thing that could have happened on that play is if the guy takes it the distance and goes for a pick six because he got it all the way out to the 34-yard line as it was. That's about the second worst thing that could happen. And, there's, and the other plays that I, I recounted earlier about you know, the worst possible scenario happened on three plays in the game, they couldn't have been worse for the Bills. They could not have come had a worse outcome and totally, un but all three of them were 
aberrations, if not completely unexpected. So, you, and it had nothing to do with how well most of them had nothing to do with how well the the uh, Vikings played. It had to do with just pure dumb luck. Um, there you go. Yeah. Um, look, I should they be able to get two yards on three plays? Yes. Running the even if they run it three times, they should be able to get the two yards that they need to get a fresh set of downs. But if I remember right, at that point in the game, they had gotten no yardage on first and ten carries, uh, three out of four times. And well, I mean, they obviously it. they obviously got eight yards. Just put it on the previous the re- play, and then they get to second and two. Put it in the reverse, and just in the reverse. What if they'd have handed it off three straight times and not gotten it? Yeah, when then, you then, the then then you'd be getting <laughs> you'd be like you got the best quarterback in the league and you're not you're taking it out of his hands. What are you yeah. doing? You know, I mean, you, you, there's just no right. winning. Yeah, you got to give the the Vikings some credit. They scared the Bills out of it on a on a second and two, third and two, fourth and two. And I'll say this: on a second and two, that's a throwing down. That is an absolutely throwing down because because you have if it's four down territory, you're going to go for you can run it on the other two downs, but you got you know, three chances to get it in the end zone. One of them, you're going to try and throw it. And, you know, so they tried it on all three. So I, I yeah, I'm not going to run it three times there, but it, it, it's like Marv Levy used to say, that's the way it is on Mondays after Sunday games. If you do something on Sunday and it doesn't work on Monday, you should have done the other thing. Yep. It's, it's no more complicated than that. It is classic armchair quarterbacking, and we're all guilty of it. Um, when Steve and I come back, we have to discuss the upcoming forecast for the Bills-Browns game on Sunday. There's a storm coming, and it's of the lake effect variety, and the local meteorologists here in Buffalo, because we know we have a lot of out-of-town listeners that may not be up to speed on exactly what the forecast holds for this weekend's game. It is not promising. It is a lake effect snow event that is being forecast. I realize we're five days out from the game, but I guess this thing is supposed to get here Thursday night and it's not supposed to let up through the weekend. So Steve and I will do our best meteorologist impersonations and discuss the possibilities of what could happen come Sunday when we return here on one bills live presented by Collider health. It's Buffalo bills radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Task with you here on a Tuesday. And we wanted to bring you up to speed, especially if you're an out-of-town listener or viewer of One Bills Live, about the upcoming forecast for the Week 11 game between the Bills and the Browns. Uh, Right now, local meteorologists are forecasting a major lake effect snow event that is supposed to deposit feet of snow, not inches. They're talking feet up to two feet. Possible is this early 
forecast. And again, we are five days out. We know these things are subject to change. And we also know there have been instances, Steve, where the worst thing imaginable on the face of the earth has been forecasted. And then we're outside going, where's all that stuff we were supposed to get? And it doesn't happen. Um, But as of right now, beginning on the overnight hours of Wednesday into Thursday, lake effect snow is supposed to begin. It's supposed to be mostly south of the city Thursday, then smacking Buffalo right in the teeth in city proper on Friday, as well as Saturday. And then the snow is supposed to shift north to south on Sunday and our broadcast partners at WIVB are forecasting that it could be snowing up to two to three inches per hour right at kickoff <laughs> on Sunday between the Bills and the Browns. <laughs> but here's, here's, the go! Good news. here's the good news, Steve. It's supposed to start tapering off right after kickoff, if, if that helps put your mind at ease. But we're already getting tweets at us uh, from Bills fans out of town like, hey, I'm in North Carolina. I've been waiting to go to a game for three years. You know, I got a flight into town on Saturday. Like, what should I do? And I'm like, hey, you know, we got to wait on the forecast. Yeah, the flight Tuesday, but the airport will be fine. Probably you'll be fine. If it's Lake Effect snow, they'll be fine. Not if Buffalo's getting smacked because Chief DeWag is due east to Buffalo. If it swings south, goes to the south town, the airport will be okay. And we've seen that. I mean, I remember November. (laughs) November, the airport was on time and sunny. Yeah. I, I landed on the Tuesday. When it was when it was like you couldn't even see in yeah. South Towns, we flew right over the top of it. And it was in the sunshine. Landed in the sunshine on Tuesday of that week, November, and couldn't yeah. drive it was home. A lake effect snow band. Yeah, we it couldn't was a drive lake home. Snow band. I mean, and I that's got- what is being predicted here, and the reason this is predicted to be so significant, at least from what I've heard from the local meteorologists, is the lake is the warmest it has ever been. I've heard this in November. Before. It's 55 degrees. I've heard this before. And that's if any, a crusher. If you've lived in Buffalo for any period of time, if you don't like a lot of lake effect snow in the winter, what you hope for is some kind of early cold snap in late December, early January, like a week of 10 degrees for the high. Because what that does is it freezes the top of the lake, right. and then the lake effect snow machines off. You can't right. make snow without any water, right? Uh, lake effect wise, and that's what you kind of hope for. But with, I mean, it was seventy degrees a week and a half ago. Listen, you know, the, that's we not all helping know. us right now, Brownie. It, we all know if if the confluence of events happens the way it can happen here, we are we are in over literally over our heads in it right and and if it looks it could be it could be an absolute epic bad weather unbelievable atrocity of a weather occurrence for sunday's game and that's what we're talking about and, I, and i'm just gonna say that's not good for the bills no because this just in the cleveland browns have the vastly superior running game yes they do they do but Buffalo's got a guy that can scoot from the pocket. They can go power run game. It may be a game where Josh has 190 yards rushing and 25 yards or 125 yards passing, but they can get that yeah. done if they want to in a pinch on a, on a game. Now, here's the thing, too. I like our quarterback better than their quarterback, and that guy's still going to make yes. the difference in the game. 
but you're right. This this could be one of those games that is an absolute throwaway game, like the 40-mile-an-hour win game from a year ago, that kind of thing. Um, I know my, my good friend and our pre, my preseason partner in the booth, uh, Andrew Catalan, James Lofton, are doing the game. supposed to do this game, right? They're doing the game yeah. for CBS. He's already talking. I've spoken to him. He's, he might be coming in town Thursday night instead of Friday just to make sure he gets in. Um, yeah, it's going to be one of those games. They're going to have uh, – they're going to have – it's going to be I, – I, I, I don't know. Brown, it may be nothing. It may be. It may yeah, be we don't want to oversell it now because it's only Tuesday. But still, in all, knowing there is past precedent <laughs> here in Buffalo, because hey. in 2014 we had a November snow event. Now that was even that was three times what they're predicting here. Six yeah. feet of snow right. was dropped on the stadium in 2014, and it ran up to Thursday, maybe even stretched into Friday, if I can remember oh, right. Yeah. And the NFL made a call on Thursday. Now, that was with already having six feet of snow on the ground. They just had no time to move all that snow in time to stage an NFL football game. This snow is not supposed to start until Thursday, Wednesday night into Thursday. They can't dodge it. Well, no, you can't. Well, no, you can't avoid it unless you're lucky with the wind. I'm talking about I'm talking about the, the, the time of the game because it happens too late. To move the game. Like, see, Detroit's out of town this weekend. The, the Lions aren't using their stadium. That's what they did last time. They just took the game right. to Detroit. And it's easy enough for, it's easy enough for, for the uh, Browns and the Bills just to fly across the lake and, and do the thing in yeah, Detroit. It's a short trip but west instead of east. It, the timing of this thing is the crusher. It's like the Indianapolis Colt game from a few years ago when, you know, it snowed, it started snowing right before kickoff and, and you couldn't recover. You just had to keep going. Right. So we'll have to keep our eye on it and see what comes of it. But yes, I was, I was trying to jog my memory from, you know, the, this November event in 2014, there was snow early in the week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then by Thursday with six feet of snow in the stadium, they, the league called it. They're like, yep, we're, we're not doing the game in Buffalo. We're moving it to Detroit, and we're going to have it played on Monday night. Right. Because the Bills couldn't function yeah. to no, prepare for the game because the players couldn't get to the stadium to practice. Well, that's the thing. Nobody could get to the stadium. That Nobody could get to the stadium to clear the stadium so people could get it to the stadium. Right? I mean, they couldn't, right. even, they couldn't even get workers to fix the stadium. Um and here's the thing, even though that was six feet of snow, and that's one of the, that's really the reason that it happened, because it was six feet of snow and then another two feet of snow or something like that, right? I mean, we got... Well, there was another snow event that was forecast right. to happen after that in the coming days. So they're like, we already got six to remove. We may have to remove more after that. It's just not, it's just not the feasible. The problem is this, do though. It. it doesn't take six feet of snow to shut it off if... If it's two feet of snow at the wrong time, right, it could force a movement of the game too. Like if they got two feet of snow on Saturday night, they've got real problems, real problems. If they can forecast yeah. that it's going to happen like that, they may consider moving again, not for six feet of snow, but for two feet of snow that falls at the exact wrong time. Now, if it's going to yeah. fall during the game, they are – take my word for it, Brownie, as a former anchor, as a former – NFL analyst for CBS doing games around the league. If it happens at game time, the networks love it. They oh yeah, they can't wait for that game to happen. They do not want to move it. They want the spectacle 
of those conditions for TV. And oh, they want the snow globe yes. all day long. Yeah. They want the snow game uh, big time. I And the Bills and Browns are not without precedent here either. <laughs> I know. Because back in 2007, <laughs> I did that we're in game. Cleveland. We're in Cleveland. Yeah. Oh, you were there for that one too, I right? did the game, yeah. Me and Gus. Yeah. So it's Bills, it's Bills, Browns, and the wind was horrific too. So it was snowing, but there was also extraordinary wind. And the Browns won the game 8 nothing with a touchdown and a safety, I believe, if I remember right. And they won the game 8 nothing. The snow continued into the evening to the point where the us who traveled with the team and the players and the coaches, we all had to stay an extra night in the hotels in Cleveland because we could not fly back. And then the next morning, we get up. We take the buses to the airport to fly back to Buffalo the next day. The pilot of the airplane cuts the turn on the tarmac too tight. The front wheel of the plane goes on the grass partition in between the runways and sinks into the ground, marooning the plane. So we all had to deplane, get back on the buses and ride three and a half hours down the thruway back to Buffalo. I hate travel. So a loss, an extra night and a bus ride back to back back home yeah. that was the oh, last got, snow event between the bills and the browns yeah so we when you do that when you do i'm the, hoping it doesn't happen people should know i mean because not every fan goes to every game um you as a as a you know you go to every game you travel with the team you're on the charter um i've done that for cbs where every game for me i'd travel here from home here in buffalo and i'd go around the country do different game never a bills game or rarely a bills game and i'd hop around so you the travel is is not glamorous. It is an absolute pain in the backside. It is the worst well, it's possible more so part for you of the job. Because it's more so for you because with, when you're with CBS, you're flying commercial. Right. Um, it's a little bit less brownie stressful brownie. as a as C- charter CBS. Traveler. CBS is a great company. I was I flew first class always. Had car service yeah. at both ends. I mean, they picked me up. It was horrible. It was horrible. I had first-class seats and car service at both ends, and I hated it. I hate travel right now because of my time as a CBS analyst. It's horrible. Don't listen. First-class, oh, yeah, it must be nice. Yeah, cars. No. No. It's canceled flights. It's snowstorms. It's rainstorms. It's delays. It's sitting in a term. It's It's all the same. It stinks. Don't forget lost luggage. Oh. Uh, that November week, I've told you the story a gazillion times. I do the game on Sunday for CBS. I do a Monday night game for radio for Westwood One, and I'm thinking, I can't get home. I'm talking to my wife on the phone. She, I can't get home. There's no way I'm going to be able to get home. It's going to be awful. I fly in. We get land on time. It's sunny in Buffalo. You look south, and people know it looked like a movie effect. Like if you walked into this cloud, you were going to disappear like, you know, like if you build it, they were like walking into that cornfield. You just kind of go away, right? So yeah, we go it's downtown. Like one of those evil vortexes. Yeah. So I go downtown on Tuesday night. I scalp a ticket to the Sabres game. I go into the <laughs> Sabres game because I, I can't get this. home. I can't get home. I go to the Sabres what game. Else the am guy I scans do? the ticket. He scans the ticket and says, "You can sit anywhere you want." <laughs> like I, and I go in. It's empty. You can hear the guys talking on the ice. Nobody can get to the game. I'm just going to tell you right now, 
that guy that you scalped the ticket off of had to feel like the luckiest man in Buffalo. That <laughs> I night. got one. That guy in the middle of a six foot really. snow event somehow Brownie. managed to scalp a ticket to the lonely soul that found his way to the Brownie. arena that night. Brownie, $20. $20, I could sit anywhere <laughs> and I And he was happy to he take it. He was like, woohoo. So, so listen, I get up the next day. It's Wednesday by this time, and then there's six inches of snow in the city. But it's still a sunny day. It's, it's snowed overnight. Right. Still can't get home. I still can't get home. So I call CBS. I go, hey, guys, here's my deal. You know, I'm sitting here in a hotel. You know, what, am I, what do you think? And they go, hey, we're gonna, your next game's in Atlanta. Go to Atlanta. We're sending you there Wednesday afternoon. So I go to Wednesday afternoon. I go to Atlanta for the Atlanta game the next weekend. Well, so at this I, point, you got to get your laundry done too, right? You I, send it I had out. to go buy underwear and socks. Yeah. So I go to that. I go to Atlanta. I'm watching the Weather Channel, who, by the way, Rick Santor is standing on Main Street of my village that I can't get home to. <laughs> Jim Cantore. Jim yeah, Cantore. Yeah, that guy. Jim Cantore is standing on my street in my town. So I'm watching him get home. I can't get there. So I do the game yeah. Sunday. CBS calls me and says, hey, the Bills game got moved to Detroit. Can you do the sideline reporting for the Bills Jets? <laughs> like, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> I go to Detroit, do that's that game on the sideline, and that's the one. That's the one. And I knew it was going to happen. I called it. Bills rolled those guys. Rolled oh, yeah. them. They yeah. rolled them. And I and I did that's that a great game. Story. I flew home back. I flew home on the charter, like you. I flew home on yeah, the charter. Yeah, I remember you were team. on the plane. Yeah. And and remember what happened? When we got home. Kelso, Mark Kelso, gives me a ride to my house. I if it wasn't so wet, I could have mowed my lawn. Yeah, Boys, it was gone. It was all gone. Break. The snow, yeah. the six feet of snow, everything's all gone. Amazing, yeah. amazing story too. Four games in like twelve days, crazy. All right, we got to take a break. We're back to close it up next. I want feels like. All right, the Bills are back on the practice field tomorrow. We are out of time. We'll see you tomorrow at 1.